Chapter 11 of Christina. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Christina Webb. Christina by L. G. Moberly. Chapter 11. You can trust Dr. Ferguson. When at about seven o'clock in the morning, Dr. Ferguson and the servant Elizabeth once more reached the house amongst the woods, Christina was dressed and ready to admit them by the little green gate in the wall. She had made herself ready for the day at a very early hour, stealing out of her beautiful charge's room whilst the latter was sleeping peacefully, and Ferguson smiled approvingly when he caught sight of the girl's trim figure and smiling face. He alighted quickly from the car and helped Elizabeth to descend, and whilst the servant hurried into the house, he put a quick question or two to Christina. "'Yes, she has had a quiet night on the whole,' the girl answered. "'She has not slept much at a time, but she has dozed now and then, and she has been wonderfully calm. She is asleep now. But she told me most particularly that she wished to be awakened when you came. I think—' the girl hesitated as she glanced into the doctor's face. I think she has something special to say to you. I am very sorry to have to wake her, Ferguson answered, but I am afraid there is no help for it if she wishes to speak to me. I can't wait till she wakes naturally. I have a very busy day before me, besides which I ought to take you back to the small girl. Whilst he spoke, he was walking up the flagged path to the house by Christina's side, glancing with pardonable curiosity at the white building against its background of dark woods. "'Curious,' he said reflectively. "'I do not want to be unduly prying, but is it impossible to help wondering what that exceptionally beautiful woman is doing in this remote place, with apparently only an old servant and a homicidal maniac for company?' Christina's eyes met his, and she flushed. In the face of the promise of secrecy, she had given to the lady of the house. She could not mention to Ferguson the existence of the sick man, whose presence she shrewdly suspected was in some way the reason for the beautiful lady's residence in this desolate corner of the world, and in answer to his words she only said quietly, "'I think there must be some very good reason why she does not wish people to know she is here. But of course I don't know what the reason is.' And saying this she entered the hall door and preceded the doctor to the room where her charge of the night still lay sleeping, a little smile on her beautiful face. Elizabeth stood beside her, and Christina saw that the good woman's eyes were full of tears. "'It does me good to see her sleeping like that,' she whispered to the two who just stood within the doorway. "'It's seldom she gets such restful sleep.' "'Are you sure she really wants to speak to me?' Ferguson asked the girl, speaking in low tones. I cannot bear to disturb her, and yet I must do if she really wants me. I have one or two urgent cases that should be seen early, and I cannot stay here. I am afraid we must disturb her, Christina whispered back. Before she went to sleep, she told me I was on no account to let you go without speaking to her. I am sure she has something important she wishes to say. Then I'll be going to make some tea for all of you, Elizabeth said gently. You haven't slept much yourself, miss, I can see. She added, looking kindly into Christina's face, which bore traces of her wakeful vigil. 
I have lighted the kitchen fire, the girl said gaily, ignoring the remarks about her own night, and I think tea will be just the loveliest thing in the world. And as Elizabeth went downstairs, she crept softly to the bedside and laid her hand upon the white hand on the coverlet, the hand whose only ornament was its thick wedding ring. Dr. Ferguson has come back, she said very gently, when at her touch the dark eyes opened. I am so sorry to wake you, but you wanted to speak to him. In that moment of waking, the smile that had lain on the sleeping face faded from it, and a long sigh escaped her. I was dreaming that Max and I, she began, and then, as recollection returned to her, she broke off her sentence, saying abruptly, Yes, I must speak to the doctor. I must take the risk, all the risk, she added under her breath, and Christina saw that a look of fear stole into her eyes. Is there something I can do for you? Ferguson approached the bed, and his voice was as gentle as Christina's had been. Something in the fragile appearance of the woman before them, something in the anguish of the deep eyes, gave both to the man and to the girl beside him a feeling of almost reverential awe. Instinctively they realized the presence of some great human tragedy. Instinctively they felt that, in its presence, all voices must be hushed, and that no rough things of every day should be allowed to intrude into the place of grief. The woman in the bed raised herself on her pillow, and looked full into Ferguson's face. "'I can trust you,' she said. "'I believe you will keep your own counsel about whatever you see or hear in this house.' "'Certainly I shall,' he replied. "'When Miss Moore came to me yesterday, I promised her that I would respect your confidence absolutely. I have entered the patient I have just taken to the asylum, as resident in the London address you gave me. I hope that was right. I have rooted objection to telling deliberate lies, he added a little grimly. What I told you was quite true, she answered, smiling faintly. Poor Marian was only here temporarily. Her home is in London. Will you tell me about her before I ask you anything more? Is there any hope of her recovery? It all seems so dreadfully sudden. She must have had a tendency to homicidal mania for years, probably all her life and I should think her recovery is extremely doubtful. In any case, she will have to be under restraint for a long time, a very long time, and at present she is quite off her head. Poor Marion, his listener said sadly. Poor, poor Marion. There need be no difficulty about her expenses. She must have every care, everything that is necessary, and if anything is ever wanted for her, will the asylum authorities write to Mrs. Stanforth in care of Mrs. Milton, 180 Gower Street. The doctor jotted down the address in his notebook, then looked again into the white, troubled face on the pillow and said slowly, There was something else you wanted me to do, was there not? Will you tell me now what it is? A faint color tinged the whiteness of her face. For a second her glance wavered before his, and then he saw that her hand moved restlessly. I know he will be angry with me, she said at last, but I must ask you to see him. I am so afraid he is worse than he thinks, than we all think. And you have promised secrecy. You have promised it, she said vehemently, putting her hands towards him. Ferguson looked, as he felt, profoundly puzzled. 
I have already promised to mention nothing of what I see or hear in this house to a living soul, he said, a trace of irritation creeping into his quiet voice. I shall keep my promise. I cannot say more than that. Is there something you wish me to see? The woman's dark eyes turned to Christina, who stood at the foot of the bed, a silent and interested spectator of the strange little scene. I want the doctor to see my... the sick man you helped, she said in faltering accents. Will you take him to the room you went to last night? Will you explain that I... that Madge begs him to tell the doctor all about his illness? He... he may be angry. She looked into Ferguson's eyes again. But I think you will understand. I think you will soothe him. Is he? Ferguson was beginning when one of those restlessly moving hands touched his. Please, don't ask me to tell you who he is, she said earnestly. He has been very ill. He has only come here since he was convalescent. Again her eyes fell before the doctor's glance. But before he came here he was very ill and in great trouble. Ah, be good to him, she exclaimed, her enforced calm manner suddenly giving way. Let him have peace now. He has had such a troubled life. The tortured look in her eyes touched Ferguson deeply. His hand closed over her trembling one with a strong, reassuring grasp. I will do my best for him, he said cheerily. I will ask no unnecessary questions. You need not be afraid that I shall try to find out anything beyond his physical symptoms. Trust me. And with another kindly glance from those eminently trustworthy eyes of his, he bade Christina lead the way to his new patient. In silence they traversed the passage by which Christina had passed along the previous night. But as she knocked on the door of the sick man's apartment, the doctor stooped towards her and whispered, I don't know whether I ought to let you be mixed up in what may turn out to be an unpleasant mystery. Would you rather go away at once? I can explain my own presence to this man. Christina shook her head, and her mouth took on a little determined look, which Ferguson learnt to recognize later on as one of her most marked characteristics. No, I will do what she asked me to do, she said. I am not afraid of mysteries, and I must help my beautiful lady as much as ever I can. So, saying, she turned the handle of the door, in response to an impatient, Come in! And she and Ferguson entered together. The sick man lay propped up with pillows, his eyes turned towards the door, a fretful expression on his face, an expression which turned to one of acute fear, when he saw the doctor's form behind Christina. Who are you? he exclaimed, shrinking back and trembling violently. Why have you come here? I tell you I am all right in this place. You can't do me any harm now. I am safe. Safe? Why? I have not come to do you any harm, the doctor answered soothingly, hiding the surprise he undoubtedly felt. I am only a doctor who wants to make you well. You have been ill, haven't you? Well, what of that? the other answered sullenly, his eyes furtively watching Ferguson's face, his weak mouth quivering. I do not want a doctor, even if I have been ill. I can do very well without a doctor. Why did you come? Christina stepped softly to the bedside, and her voice was very gently. You remember me, she said. I came to help you last night, and I was told to tell you now as a special message that Madge sent the doctor 
and she begs you to tell him all about your illness. You can trust Dr. Ferguson, the girl went on earnestly. He will not tell anybody that he has seen you. You can safely trust him. We are trusting too many people, came the curious retort. First Elizabeth was busy, and you came to me last night, and you are a total stranger. Although you were kind to me, it is no use to pretend you are not a stranger. Yet I had to trust you, and now I have to trust the doctor. There are too many people in it now. This young lady, Miss Moore, and I know absolutely nothing about you or about the lady of this house, Ferguson said firmly, but soothingly. We do not even know your relationship to one another. Your secrets are quite safe with us, because we have no idea what those secrets are. Therefore, you can safely trust us. And in any case, I can answer for Miss Moore as for myself. In any case, we shall keep silence about everything we have seen in this house. The sick man muttered one or two more feeble remonstrances, after which, with the sullen abandonment of his position, so characteristic of a weak nature, he said resignedly, Well, well, it is no use talking. It is never of any use for me to talk. And if Madge wishes me to be overhauled, so be it. I will put myself into your hands, but understand, I do it under protest. Dennis Ferguson only nodded and smiled in response, saying to Christina, Now, if you will go and have that cup of tea, I will do my best for the patient here and come to fetch you in a few minutes. And the girl, taking the hint, left the two men together and returned to the other room, where she found the beautiful lady lying with eyes wistfully turned towards the door, whilst Elizabeth vainly implored her to drink the tea she had made. I couldn't think of tea or of anything else till you came back, the beautiful woman exclaimed, stretching out her hands to the girl with feverish eagerness. Was he vexed, my poor Max? Was he dreadfully vexed when you took the doctor to his room? Christina was conscious of a sudden wonder. Why, she speculated, did this woman's voice drop into accents of such divine tenderness when she spoke of the sick man? What attraction could that weak, curious invalid possess for this stately, beautiful creature, who, to the girl's admiring eyes, seemed as far above him as a star is from the earth? Why did she love him, as she most obviously did, with that intense, overmastering love which in a woman of this caliber almost approaches to the divine? Just at first he was rather vexed, she answered, but Dr. Ferguson is very tactful. He inspires confidence. I think it will be all right now, and I have come back here to have some tea with you, she added brightly, seeing and understanding the old servant's anxious glances. I am going to confess that I have been awake a great deal of the night, and tea will be very refreshing. She added these words because she saw that the other woman would be more likely to drink her own tea if she felt that Christina was really in need of the refreshment, and to her surmise she was right. Oh, but you must have your tea at once, the woman in the bed exclaimed. I can't bear to think that I've been keeping you awake. Indeed, it is dreadful to think that you have all unwittingly come into my shadowed life, she added under her breath, whilst the girl seated herself beside the bed, and Elizabeth served them both. I am glad to have been able to help you, Christina said impulsively, when the servant softly left the room. You don't know how glad I should be if I could do anything. 
to make things easier for you, she ended rather lamely, but the admiration in her eyes was unmistakable, and the shapely white hand with its one ring was laid on Christina's. You have helped me tonight more than you suppose, she said. There is something very restful about your personality, little girl. Do you know that? All night you have given me a feeling of rest and peace. I am glad, Christina answered, a light flashing into her eyes. I believe I would rather be restful to people than anything else in the world. A rest bringer, was the soft answer. You will always be that. If you go on as you have begun, and it is work worth doing, to bring rest to tired souls, to those who go through the veil of misery, who know what pain means. Be a rest-bringer, little girl. You could not be anything better or sweeter. Christina flushed vividly, partly at the words of praise, and partly because as they were spoken, a face rose before her mental vision, a man's face, lined and rugged, with marks of pain curved upon it with a haunting look of pain in its gray eyes, and with that remembrance came also a sudden impetuous wish that it might be given to her to bring rest to the man who was Lady Cicely's cousin, the man whose very name she did not know. She was startled out of the strange train of thought by her companion's voice. "'I cannot imagine,' she was saying, "'why it is your face and voice are in some odd way familiar to me.' Yet you assure me that we have never met before? We have never met, Christina answered decidedly. I could not have forgotten you if I had ever seen you, and, oh, she went on with an eager girlish gesture, please, may not I have some name to remember you by? Not any name that, that you would rather not I did not know, she added quickly, seeing an anxious look in the other's eyes, only just something to keep in my thoughts of you. Call me just Margaret in your thoughts, was the answer. That is one of my names. Call me that. But it seems, Christina hesitated, it seems like an impertinence to call you by a Christian name. You, yes, I know. I am old enough to be your mother. The dark eyes looked wistfully into the eager young face. And the life I have lived makes me feel more as if I was a thousand instead of only thirty-eight. But still, there is a young corner in my heart, quite a young corner, where I can feel like a girl again, and it would please me if you would call me Margaret. Margaret, Christina repeated softly, I am glad you have such a beautiful name. It seems to belong to your beautiful face. She spoke dreamily, scarcely aware of what she said, but as the sound of her own words fell on her ears, she flushed deeply and a depreciating look came into her eyes. "'Oh, I beg your pardon,' she exclaimed. "'I was speaking my thoughts aloud, and it was rude of me. But, do you know, ever since I first saw you, I have called you in my mind the beautiful lady. You see, I had no name of which to call you.' "'It was very pretty of you,' Margaret smiled, her fingers touching the girl's dusky hair. "'Once upon a time, long ago,' When I was as young as you, I was beautiful. It is not vanity to say that now. I was a beautiful girl, but life and all that life has brought have... They have made you more beautiful, the girl interrupted eagerly. They have put sadness into your face, but they have not taken away its beauty. They have only added to it. 
Margaret smiled again, and an answering smile flashed over the girl's face, making the older woman lean towards her and exclaim, in a puzzled stare. It certainly is most extraordinary how, when you smile, I find something so familiar in your face. The quick way you smile reminds me of another face I have seen, but I cannot remember where I saw it or whose it is and your voice reminds me of just such another clear voice with its restful cadences in it could i have ever known anyone belonging to your family christina shook her head recognizing dimly that the woman before her belonged to a circle of life very different from that in which her father and mother moved i don't think it is at all likely you ever saw any relation of mine she answered my name is moore and we were always very poor, and lived in an out-of-the-way Devonshire village. I never knew of any of my relations, and I don't even know my mother's maiden name. I think her people had treated her very badly. She never mentioned them. Ah, well, it must be some chance likeness, but it will worry me until I can remember who the person is and of whom you remind me. Is that the doctor? She broke off to say, her lighter tone changing to one of acute anxiety. What is he coming to tell me? The animation that, for a few moments, had lighted her features and lessened some of the tragedy in her eyes died away, and the face that was turned towards Dr. Ferguson as he once more entered the room had nothing upon it but an anguished question. Has he allowed you to examine him thoroughly? she asked. Yes, quite thoroughly, Ferguson's voice was gentle, but very grave, as he came and stood beside the bed. Christina instinctively realized that as he hesitated to speak further, because of what he had to say was of a painful nature. "'Tell me,' Margaret spoke a little breathlessly. Her eyes never left the kind, shrewd face looking down at her. The anguish in their depths hurt Dennis's tender heart. To give pain to any woman, above all to a woman so frail, so physically unfit to bear it as this woman seemed to be, it was almost intolerable to him, yet his honesty and strength of nature never allowed him to evade the truth when the truth had to be told, and he did not evade it now. "'I am afraid I have not good news to bring you,' he said. "'The patient I have just examined is only momentarily convalescent. I think it is only fair to be quite honest with you. There is no real hope of his ultimate recovery.' The woman in the bed uttered a little low sound, which seemed to Christina the most pitiful she had ever heard, but when she spoke her voice was unnaturally quiet. "'You mean he has some incurable disease? Tell me the exact truth.' "'Yes, quite incurable, and very far advanced. I can give him a certain amount of alleviation, but it would not be right.' to let you build any hopes on the possibility of a cure. There is no such possibility. When the doctor's voice ceased, there was a strange, tense silence in the room for many minutes, and Christina, standing by the fireplace, felt as if she could almost see and hear the woman in the bed, gathering up her forces to meet his blow. Once the girl glanced at the white face and deep eyes, but she turned away her glance again, feeling it was not right that any other human being should gaze upon the tortured soul that looked out of those eyes. Margaret herself first broke the silence. "'Will it be long?' she asked. "'I think not,' 
Ferguson answered gravely. But in a case like this, everything depends upon the temperament of the patient, his surroundings, his mental attitude. Anxiety, worry, any mental strain would accelerate matters. The white hands, that had all this time been so still on the coverlet, clasped themselves together, and there was a new note of passion in Margaret's voice as she said, And the mental strain is exactly what I cannot help, cannot prevent, cannot save him from. You must remember, I am only giving you one man's opinion, only my own, Ferguson replied gently. Would you like me to bring a London colleague to— No, oh no! The look of fear he had before noticed in her eyes leapt into them once more. Nobody else must come here. Nobody else must see him. As it is, the risks— She stopped suddenly and ended her sentence in a less agitated tones. I am quite satisfied with your opinion, Dr. Ferguson, she said. I would rather not have another doctor, and— you will respect my wish for silence about everything that has passed in this house. Certainly I will respect it. You can trust me. In the patient's own interest, I think I ought to see him again, perhaps in two or three days. But nobody, excepting Miss Moore and myself, will know anything about the affairs of your house. Having given her a few technical instructions as to the treatment of the sick man, the doctor was ready to take his departure, and he and Christina left the house together, after the girl had for a moment been drawn into Margaret's arms and gently kissed. "'Thank you for all you have done,' the beautiful woman whispered. "'I don't think I can ever be grateful enough to you. Perhaps we shall not ever meet again. But think sometimes of me, pray sometimes for me, little rest-bringer. That poor soul, that poor soul, they were Ferguson's first words, after he had turned the car out of the rough lane, into the main road. I dare say it was fanciful, but the words in the litany haunted me when I watched her this morning. In all time of our tribulation, good Lord, deliver us. She looks as if she has been through such an infinity of tribulation. Christina's eyes were still dim with the tears brought there by Margaret's parting words, and her voice was not quite steady as she answered, "'Yes, the word seems to belong to her, but she gives me the feeling that she is so strong, so tender in spite of, or perhaps because of, all that she has suffered. I wish I could do something more for her.' "'Perhaps the opportunity may yet be given you,' Ferguson answered. I never believe people come into one's life purposelessly. We meet them for some reason. We get chances of helping them. Even if sometimes they seem only like ships that pass in the night, greeting us as they sail by. End of chapter 11 Recording by Christina Webb of Virginia